Welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Gabriela Ariana Campoverde, but you can call me Gabby. Our guest today is none other than Nathaniel Harley, the CEO and co-founder of Mantle, a software platform specializing in online account opening and deposit growth strategies for community banks and credit unions. Founded in 2016, Mantle has helped banks raise more than $1 billion in core deposits with the highest performing account opening solution on the market. This past spring, this FinTech raised 40 million in a Series B round. Congratulations, Mantle. In this episode, we will discuss how Mantle is on a mission to expand access to financial services by challenging the cost structures of traditional banks with its robust APIs, conversion best practices, and seamless user experience. We will also hear about why community banks matter and how Nathaniel, who formerly served as the COO at Spoon University, took lessons from this prior startup and applied them to Mantle. Now, let's get started. I have the pleasure of sitting down with Mantle CEO and co-founder, Nathaniel Harley. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. Of course. Now, I'm a huge fan of your company. I actually got to learn a bit about it through an independent study project at Wharton. Do you mind just starting us off with your elevator pitch? Yeah, 100%. So at a high level, Mantle is an enterprise software company that's really focused on helping the traditional financial institutions modernize and grow. Our mission at the end of the day is to really expand access to financial services. And we do this by really helping the traditional financial institutions take on the legacy infrastructure that has really hindered access to digital banking over the past number of years. And we are very much part of the new wave of technologists that are trying to transform the underlying cost structures of the traditional banks. That's awesome. And a lot of our folks are up to date with neobanks, alternative data lenders, and those who are trying to change the way we're managing our budget. But Do you mind talking a bit more about who it is that you're serving and what legacy infrastructure actually looks like for these players? Certainly. So legacy infrastructure is probably the single biggest challenge that banks face today, right? And as I sort of said, we are very much focused on on fixing that legacy infrastructure, which has been one of the biggest obstacles to for really limiting modernization in in the US banking system today. And so the the way the industry works is 96% of the 10,000 community banks and credit unions in the U.S. actually rely on third-party vendors for their technology. The issue is, is that these vendors have actually underserved these banks. They have outdated technology. They've taken an acquisition approach to innovation over the past number of years. 43% of legacy bank core systems are actually running on languages written 60 years ago, right? And the issue is, is that the gap between these regional and community banks and and credit unions versus the money center banks who spend billions of dollars in technology, and then the new fintechs who ostensibly are, are just building a better UX at the end of the day, has really been widening over the past number of years. And just one data point that that we look at, the top 15 banks 25 years ago held about 16% 
deposit market share. Fast forward to today, they got about 56% of that market share. And that's because they're investing billions of dollars in technology to really grow and, and help modernize. Whereas these banks, the regional and community banks and credit unions are very much reliant on these outdated legacy vendors. Where are the folks that you're serving right now? I know, you know, we typically think of community banks and credit unions, the really small shops that you have on your main street or tucked into a corner in a different neighborhood, but you're serving a lot of different banks across America. Do you see any particular patterns in geographic concentration? We work with banks and credit unions all across the country. They range from, you know, let's say 500 million in assets on the low end all the way up to, you know, 50, 100 billion on, on the high end. They have different strategies. Some of them are focused on local communities and, and have a local checking account strategy. Some of them have a national savings and CD strategy. Some of them are launching account opening for the very first time. Some of them are replacing a legacy vendor and, and switching to Mantle. So it is certainly a breadth of customers that we've been fortunate to work with, and the solution definitely provides outcomes for all of those different use cases. That's awesome. And I'm curious, how did this all get started? I know looking at your LinkedIn, you were an IB at Goldman, and then you went off to Spoon University as COO, but how did this come about? Yeah, I don't know if selling software into community banks and credit unions is the type of idea you sort of think of sitting on your couch. And it certainly wasn't the case for us. And, and we kind of stumbled upon the opportunity. So when we actually originally set out, we wanted to build our own challenger bank. And we really wanted to provide technology that was actually helping people at the end of the day and addressing some issues like financial literacy and access to finances and you know money-making advice. And what we realized through this process when we started talking to a number of different banks was there was a much bigger opportunity. We could compete with these traditional financial institutions on brand and customer acquisition at the end of the day, but ultimately they already had massive embedded customer bases that they were trying to serve, but providing outdated solutions to. So we felt compelled that we would actually be able to reach and touch way more customers through these banks and credit unions existing customer base and actually be able to change the financial infrastructure really from the ground up at the end of the day. Because that's ultimately what needs updating. And one of the things that we observed was that community banks just weren't growing online, right? I think at the time when we started the company, less than 20% of banks had online account opening, but community banks make up 95% of the market, right? And they just haven't had the tools to compete historically. But what we've seen is when you give them access to these tools, they actually can be really successful and they can compete against the money center banks and, and the fintechs. And you know, at least what we've seen on our platform is the digital branch that you know, essentially Mantle Launch becomes their most successful branch, right? In, in a matter of a month or, or two months or, or whatever. And it's actually 10 times more effective and building a, a physical branch at the end of the day. So we're really trying to drive neobank levels of efficiency with unmatched ROI for these community banks. And we like to say we know the core providers actually better than the core providers themselves. And 
ultimately solving that piece of the puzzle is what allows these banks to innovate on top of this legacy infrastructure and give them things like real-time core integrations and you know, ultimately an industry-leading time to market. I mean, do you mind speaking a bit more about core banking? A lot of the folks on this podcast perhaps aren't very familiar with infrastructure. Like, What does that typically mean for the folks that you're working on? Yeah, so a core banking system, and sort of if we look back 60, 70 years, the banking industry was actually one of the first industries to modernize from a technology standpoint, right? They had this problem where they had all these transactions on paper and it was really hard to keep track of. So they invented what was called a core banking system. And, and these are systems written in COBOL. They're on, still on mainframe servers. And those same systems still exist today. It's essentially one part database where I keep track of all of the customer information, account information, things like that. And then there's a, a transactional layer which accounts for the ledger, money coming in, money coming out. And then it's evolved over time to add some of these value-added services. So what Mantle tries to do is given these banks are very tied to these legacy systems that have been built 50, 60, 70 years ago, is we come in and we say, how can we enhance your core banking system without you needing to change it today? Because the process of going through a core migration, it's extremely expensive. It takes so much time and energy from the bank. It's like the single thing that they're focused on. And by the way, if anything goes wrong, there's a ton of reputational risk that can happen. So we are big believers that in order to get banks to where they need to be, we need to enhance the existing infrastructure. We need to allow them to launch digital innovative products on top of that legacy infrastructure without them needing to change it today and give them time to you know, essentially build towards that path of really reimagining the entire stack. Yes, I've heard of core, any changes to the core really compared to executing open heart surgery. So uh, <laughs> interesting it, process. To, to put it lightly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And I'm curious, you know, that's a large commitment. How did you guys get started? Clearly today you have a portfolio of products, but how did it all begin? So we identified account opening as our initial wedge into this digital transformation, right? And as I mentioned, when we first started the company, less than 20% of banks actually were able to open accounts online. And that was mind-blowing to us, right? We thought it was table stakes. You obviously look at all the neobanks, they are able to offer that functionality. And when we were sort of evaluating how do we get really deep in this market and, and how do we ultimately achieve the goal of you know, full end-to-end digital transformation, account opening was a really great place to start. Banks are naturally risk adverse, right? And you need to build trust with them. It's very hard to get into this industry. Selling into banks is very complicated. There are a lot of different departments. There's many nuances, there's compliance, et cetera, et cetera. But digital account opening on the relative order of things was a relatively low risk, but extremely high value product for these banks, right? And so we felt like we could deliver a product that would actually produce some pretty significant outcomes from them ultimately. And as I was sort of saying, like, Part of that was enhancing the core banking system without needing to change them. And it's table stakes, right? Like in order to compete online, ultimately, in order to compete with, as I said, the money center banks and some of the new fintech challenger banks, 
four to five people prefer to manage their finances digitally, right? So you have to be able to offer them that digital experience. And it's also hard because not only are you facing competition from the mega banks and the neobanks, but you're seeing competition from companies like Walmart, right? And, and other companies that are sort of moving into the embedded finance space. And so, you know, we've really tried to hone in on a cloud-based architecture that's multi-tenant, that's API first, that really allows us to bring in best-in-class APIs that allows us to, as I said, innovate very quickly, but provide the banks with the best-in-class solution that would outcompete any of their competitors, all while constantly improving the product on a weekly or you know, every two-week basis, because that is not what the industry is used to. Most of these core banking providers and, and most of our competitors are really professional service companies underneath the hood. They write custom code and custom integrations for all of these banks that they work with. And the problem with that is when I want to go update the system, I need to go back update 50 to 100 different banks. We have one unified code base across the entire platform. So that's what allows us to deliver value and, and push updates to all of our banks at one time. That's awesome. And I'm curious, like, how was it like you know, going from a startup that wasn't in fintech at all to essentially building up a culture that's willing to challenge and innovate? And it's very much what I see in like the DNA of Mantle. And what was it like to become a leader in this space? So when I was coming off Spoon, definitely learned a lot. Number one, how to build a startup, how to execute on marketing, how to grow a team sales, things of that nature. I really wanted to get back into the finance space because when we started the company, a few things were going on. It was sort of the unbundling of financial services. A lot of people had their money in different places. It was the rise of you know all these one product fintech companies at the time. Financial literacy was really low. And we felt like we could actually have a massive impact in this space. And, and there was a lot of missing opportunity. Took a lot of research, a lot of late nights and sort of figuring out where the holes in the market were and, and what the gaps were. But I think ultimately what drove us and, and what drives us today is to use technology as a vehicle to really help people and to use technology to really expand this access to financial services at the end of the day. So Definitely not something that happens overnight, but going through the challenges of starting our own direct-to-consumer bank and, and then realizing the pain points and actually working with these banks was pretty enlightening to help us get on the path of starting Mantle. Great. And how receptive were these banks initially? Like I could imagine you know, they haven't seen anything like Mantle before. They were used to working with a large player. So how did you approach them? So there were a few things that we saw that needed to change in terms of mindset with these banks. I think number one, a lot of the banks that we spoke to viewed technology as an expense versus an investment. And when you look at technology as a pure cost item, what are you gonna do? You're gonna try to minimize the cost at the end of the day, right? But what we started to try to shift their mindset with is technology is not just an expense, it's an investment in your future. It is how you grow ultimately. It is how you will be around. It's almost an existential threat. If you do not adopt technology at the end of the day, there is a very good chance you may not be around in the next five to 10 years. So that was a big sort of hurdle that, that we needed to overcome. And 
I think we timed it right. And, and now I would say a lot of the banks we talk to certainly get it. There's a major opportunity cost to not modernizing, right? And, and I think we saw a great example was this bank um, in the New York area called Quantic. 95% of customers onboarded digitally once they went live with Mantle, and we lowered their cost of deposits by 40%. So great outcome from them. I think the other thing that we are noticing and, and sort of seeing is that there's very much a fear of losing a personalized approach with the branch model. And But ultimately, what is the truth is customers are actually happiest when they're able to leverage both the branch and the digital channel at the same time. A lot of similarities between e-commerce and, the sh- and really what we're seeing in the shift in banking right now. And so what we believe is that the branch remains an important piece of the pie and is an important channel for servicing and building brand, but it's less critical for customer acquisition. That's really what the online channels are. So you need to have both and you need to have technology that complements both of them. And that's why we focus on building not only an online account solution, but also a banker-led solution at the end of the day that can go into the branch or be used by relationship managers out in the field because you want to meet your customers where they are. I also think, if I'm remembering correctly, there was a recent survey or, or research report that was put out by JD Powers that essentially said customer satisfaction with digital-only banks is slipping. The happiest banking customers are able to bank where and how they want to, i.e. in the branch, online, on their phone, and just be able to do business in the way that they like. Interesting. And through your services, I'm sure you also have some insight on how these community banks and credit unions, what they're doing differently to serve their clients and why is supporting the matter? So community banks can compete with the right tools ultimately, right? And there is a strategic advantage to being smaller to being nimbler, to being more responsive, right? To actually having that better relationship. Community banks are able to understand their community better than the money center banks who essentially take a cookie cutter approach and, and a one size fits all, right? So if I'm a farmer out in you know the West or, or wherever it may be, there's a very good chance I may not be able to get the loan I need for my farm, right? From a, a money center bank, but the community bank who understands the risk, understands the importance of the small business within the community, that's who you're going to go to, right? So I I think they excel from that standpoint. I also think they can offer better products. They can offer better services. They can take, as I was saying, a more nuanced approach to lending. There's more of a desire to build the relationship with customers and really branches and ATMs outside of the historically high-income areas that the big banks targeted. That's where the, the community banks ultimately really shine. So our outlook on, on community banking, you know, we think that the headline is if you give community banks the right tools, they will be able to compete online, right? And we've seen this with a number of our customers. Cross River Bank had an 88% net conversion rate on a CD raising strategy. They raised $250 million in deposits in 15 days on the platform in April of last year to help fund some of the the PPP lending. And their average deposit was over 137,000, right, per account. Midwest Bank Center, which is also, uh, I think, a 113-year-old community bank out in St. Louis, what they did is they actually took a strategy where they wanted to launch a digital-only brand through Mantle first, use it as a way to get their feet wet with the online digital channel, 
And they used learnings from that digital-only bank, which is called Rising Bank, and applied it to their brick-and-mortar side of the business. So now, fast forward to today, 19% of all new accounts were opened online for the traditional brand. The average deposit was over 3000 And over the last year, the two digital brands for Rising and, and Midwest Bank Center rep- represent their number one and two branches in terms of most accounts opened across the organization. So I think those just speak to the fact that when you have the right tools in place, it really allows you to compete and you can get outcomes that maybe historically were only seen by the bigger banks who are obviously spending a ton of money in technology and and then the fintechs. It's incredible. Like you've mentioned, there's so much that could be changed and so much unlocked potential. I'm curious, what innovation do you see for your clients in the next few years? And especially given this digital acceleration that we've had through the pandemic. So as technology vendors, I think we all need to really step up to make sure that we're adding value at the end of the day, right? And when I think of things like, are we helping to lower the cost structure for these banks to give them room to innovation? That's a big question, right? Because it's really important to lower the cost structure to give banks more leverage to grow efficiently and give them flexibility to think about additional revenue streams outside of just fees, for example, which is obviously a very hot topic now. And and we're seeing a lot of the the bigger banks move outside of fees. The results of that is you cut costs by over 50%. You can take an account opening experience that used to be 20, 30 minutes when you walk into a branch down to two minutes, right? Pretty amazing outcomes ultimately that they're able to achieve. And you're also helping them grapple with evolving changes such as fraud management, right? Fraud management is a big thing to focus on when you're dealing with online account opening because the reality is it it just exists. The question is, how do you mitigate it, right? And and how do you stop it in this track? I think in Q1 2021, we saw a 200% increase in mobile banking and it subsequently 250% increase in online banking attempted fraud between the first and the fourth quarters of last year, right? So you need to make sure that technology can integrate with and enhance the current systems since most banks are not going to migrate off their card. They're not going to go, as you said, through this heart transplant of, of a core migration ultimately in the next few years. And then I think the last piece of it is really focusing and doubling down on data got to ask yourself, like, are you data literate? Are you using data to help drive quantitative outcomes? Are you looking at conversion rates? Are you looking at what campaigns are leading to the most fraud? What campaigns are leading to the most accounts? Things like that. It's really important for us to empower these banks with the data at their fingertips so that they can make data-driven decisions. We take a very consultative approach to not only our sales process, but also our implementation process. That just comes with what you get with the software. We believe that software certainly solves problems, but we also partner with our banks and credit unions to help them navigate some of these questions because not all of them have the internal resources to necessarily execute on digital marketing or or fraud or or all of these things. So we try to leverage a lot of best practices, thought leadership, white papers, et cetera, so that when they work with Mantle, we can sort of give them an out-of-box solution of here's what it looks like to be successful and here's the data. Now you go make the decision and decide what's right for your bank. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. I remember poking through different application forms for community banks and seeing how there would be disclaimers and 30,000 different things that you would have to fill out before you even hit submit. So it was really interesting looking at your application and how you had a lot of like user experience insights or at least made it a bit more human to actually approach the product. So that was really interesting. Totally, yeah. We've done a lot of work and specifically on that point to just reduce the amount of information the customer needs to enter at the end of the day, right? And we're able to do that because we're leveraging so much more data on the back end to validate, you know, whether it's KYC or AML or, or things of that nature. And the outcome of that is really a very powerful account opening solution. You'll see four times higher deposit growth rates, you'll cost by 50%, 67% reduction in fraud. And then you're able to raise billions of deposits every year, if that's your goal. So I think there's some pretty meaningful changes. And we've spent a lot of work, yes, of course, making the UI and and the UX look beautiful and and really streamline and and help with conversion rate. But there's a ton going on beneath the hood, under the scenes, through our APIs that really are driving a lot of this value, cost savings, automation, things of that nature. Awesome. And is there anything that you'd like our listeners to know what's next in the pipeline for Mantle? Certainly. So I think the top trends that that we are really seeing are definitely serving small businesses, right? I think that's a really big topic, especially sort of post PPP and some of the relief efforts that we saw. Banks built a lot of goodwill with small businesses over this time. I think there was a a Fed survey that said 61% of business owners were satisfied with the support they received from small banks, but less than half were satisfied with the support they received from the big banks, right? And so last year, banks actually grew their profits, while a lot of the challenger banks, they suffered, right? And, and, you know, a lot of them saw valuations decrease. And, you know, I, I think it really just shows the resiliency of the banking model. So how do you capitalize on that goodwill? How do you turn some of those, let's say, PPP relationships into long-term deposit relationships? That's a really big focus of us. So I would say that's number one, helping with small businesses, helping with complex commercial accounts. But it's also also becoming omni-channel, right? As I was talking about before, it's not just about serving your customer online. It's about serving your customer where they want to be met and where they want to do business. So we've developed a truly omni-channel solution that allows the bank to meet their customers where they are. And it allows them to walk into the branch and finish the application on at home. It allows them to start at home or walk into the branch or call into the call center, right? So it, it's a much more seamless experience that I don't really think is out there in the market today. Sounds really exciting. And thank you again so much for your time. And we can't let you go without a fun question. So if there's any place that you would be able to hang out right now, whether it's at home with family or somewhere in a beach or just a made up group of people that you'd want to be with, where would it be and who would you be with? So my wife actually was pregnant through COVID and we just had our first kid about four months ago. So we, we haven't seen a lot of our, thank you. Thank you. We haven't seen a lot of our friends in, in a very long time. So I think we would go maybe take a beach vacation with some friends and, and just hang out for a little bit now that everyone's vaccinated and you know it's a little bit safer to do so. Yeah, that sounds fabulous. And I hope you get to do that sometime soon. And again, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and I hope you have a wonderful day. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you love our show, please write us a review or engage with us on social media. We greatly appreciate your support and it helps us spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Medium at Warren Fintech. Here you'll access interviews, articles, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. As always, a very special thank you to our wonderful editor, Rafael Ostria. Until next time, your host, Gabby.